0: Greetings and welcome to The Discussion. Today's episode is all about what is a discussion. A discussion is defined as talking or writing about something, especially in order to solve a problem or resolve a question. An example of a discussion is when two or more people disagree and decide to sit down and talk out their different opinions. So the purpose of a discussion is to interpret and describe the significance of your findings in light of what was already known about the research problem being investigated, and to explain any new understandings or refresh insights about the problem after you've taken the findings into consideration. Let's begin. So as we begin, we have switched over and we are going to be running as a podcast. In order to understand, a podcast is a free service that allows internet users to pull audio files from a podcasting website to listen to their, on their own computers or personal digital audio players. The term comes from the combination of the words iPod, a personal digital audio player made by Apple, and broadcasting. So everybody always wonders, why do you want to do different things? So, what is the point of a broadca- uh, Sorry, podcast? The point is simple. It is the same as a video on YouTube, a book in a library, or a conversation in a classroom. It's to move Information from one place to another. Sometimes information holds value and sometimes it doesn't. The goal of the discussion is to do this. We have aligned with doing the podcasts because podcasts make information personal. They are convenient and easy to consume. They cut costs and they are time saving in efficient forms of communication. They are portable and they are an on-demand technology. As we continue to grow, we will incorporate and add many, many awesome features into our podcasts. So today we are going to talk about something that's really out there and affecting everyone. Ready? Here we go. The coronavirus, COVID-19, is an infectious disease caused by a newly discovered Most people infected with COVID-19 virus will experience mild, moderate respiratory illness and recover without requiring special treatment older people and those with underlying medical problems such as cardiovascular disease diabetes chronic respiratory disease and cancers are more likely to develop serious illnesses the best way to prevent and slow down transmission is be well informed about the COVID-19 virus, the disease it causes, and how it spreads. Protect yourself and others from infection by washing your hands or using an alcohol-based rub frequently and not touching your face. The COVID virus spreads primarily through droplets of saliva or discharge from the nozzle to an infected person or sneezing. So, it's important that you also practice respiratory etiquette, for example, by coughing into your flexible elbow, into a Kleenex, into your shoulder, etc. At this time, there is no specific vaccinations, vaccines or treatments for COVID-19. However, there are many ongoing clinical trials evaluating potential treatments. Currently, there have been 161,603 people in Canada tested. Out of that number, 4,018 cases are positive. And we've only had 39 deaths. And that breaks down to 725 cases in British Columbia. 486 cases in Alberta, 95 cases in Saskatchewan, 11 cases in Manitoba, 858 cases in Ontario, 1,629 cases in Quebec, 33 cases in New Brunswick, 73 cases in Nova Scotia, 9 cases in Prince Edward Island, 82 cases. Foundland and Labrador, three cases in Yukon, one case in the Northwest Territories and there are no cases in none of it. The biggest cause is by traveling and community spread. Currently there are a lot of theories, conspiracy thoughts and things out there. I've done a great deal of uh, research and the best thing I like is this. It's an opinion piece from McLean's. And it was done by Jen Gerson. It's an opinion piece, which I thought was brilliantly written. And it had some good, strong cases. It's called, Guess This Is A War. Do our leaders know what that means? Jen Gerson. Writes, Threatening to take away civil liberties isn't enough, mobilizing the country will require a galvanizing message and the promise of better things to come. At moments of crisis, people like myself have to watch what we write. Once my role was to offer a candid and catchy perspective on the world. Now, I ought to provide comforting platitudes intended to smooth my readers into complacency and compliance. Flatten the curve, sing on your balconies, we're all in this together. Harken back to the promise of the old golden status quo. We're in for a few tough months, but everything will go back to normal. But when big things like COVID-19 happen in September the 11th 2001 is only an analogy I can draw from my own lifetime. There is no reason to be normal. There is just the beginning of a new normal. I suspect this pandemic is going to force us all into A fundamental renegotiation of the social contract and whether that debate leads into a better world or a worse one will depend on how we respond today the pandemic ahead of us is terrifying the virus itself is insidiously canny almost as if designed to test every thread of social cohesion, it's deadly, but not deadly enough to frighten everyone's equally. Its high morbidly rate puts a strain on already forbidden health care systems. It has already revealed the fissures in our political leadership around the world. It's remarkably durable and contigi- contiguously and because it appears to be able to spread as systematically the virus offers no clear warnings about when its victims must with- withdraw from society as a result we've come to a half-baked consensus as to what is to be done what consistent what consensus Exists is failing as an economy collapses the pandemic spiral out of control in the United States and a generation born to relative comfort and certainty is getting its first live performance of the fragility of human society. We all seem to understand now our collective Duty to flatten the curve of the outbreak by dramatically reducing our social contacts. We are meant to slow the transition of the disease, giving our healthcare system time to respond. Most of our, sorry, most of us have even seen a simple graph intended to illustrate the point. The cartoon version of the graph omits the details of the x and the y axis. And the graphic, it's left to the imagination to answer how many lives will be saved by this action. Exactly what time frame is required, what is the capacity of our healthcare system, whether this can be increased, and if so, how quickly. The very concept of social distancing itself seems to compromise different prohibitions and different jurisdictions. Trips to the playground are barred in some places, in others walks are okay. We are told, paradoxically, that distancing is a minor inconvenience, that we should be able to manage easily and gratefully, and also that we face hardships and sacrifices not seen since the Second World War. Those who adapt the rhetoric of noble self-sacrifice gloss over the historic realities of that endless romanticized era. The consensus on the Second War, sorry, the consensus of the Second World War was never absolute, nor even shared across the country to maintain consent. Western democracies adapted deeply draconian policies, a police state with severe restrictions on speech, assembly, and commerce. But the census required more than this. There was a contract involved. Men signed up to die for a fight for freedom, a sense of purpose they wanted to do their duty to king and country. Concepts that now seem anachrist and their sacrifice of blood and treasure. Our parents and grandparents came home to a better world, or at least they believed they did. Upon their return, there were GI bills and free post-secondary education, servant homes, and national health services. The Second World War was the herald of an imperfect golden age. If we are being required now to make a sacrifice on a similar scale, I must ask, what is the contract today? We've known about the novel Convirus since January. The strict lockdown measures adapted by China brought Western governments cruelly crucial weeks Did we spend the past two and a half months building temporary hospital space? Did we construct private companies to manufacture ventilators and personal protective equipment for health care workers? It's still not too late to enlist useless lumps like myself, to learn simple screening procedures to ease pressure on frontline medical workers in an emergency. Where is everyone? If this is a war, let's act like it. For example, we need you to stay in your homes for 12 weeks so we can learn about this virus disease. Try new treatments, retool local factories to manufacture millions of. And 95 masks, build 20,000 new hospital bids, and train volunteers. With these actions, we will save an estimated 200,000 lives. It's a clear and galvanizing message that most Canadians, I suspect, will embrace. Compare, by comparison, we need you to stay in your homes for six months maybe a year, we're not sure, maybe until someone comes up with a vaccine, there won't be a job for you when this is over, and if you don't abide, we'll eliminate your civil liberties is very obviously not tenable. It reeks of panic, of an inability to make difficult decisions, and in the fact of hard realities. In times of extreme crisis, it becomes our obligation as journalists to offer governments the benefit of a doubt. Managing this pandemic would be difficult for any government and many thousands of lives are at stake. The unwritten contract suggests that this is almost a blunt, ordinary criticism in the name of a broader social cohesion. It becomes a difficult transition to make, and it becomes completely impossible when governments appear to abuse the crisis to accumulate more power. According to the reports this week, the Trudeau government attempts to use its COVID-19 aid bill to grant itself unprecedented powers to tax and spend without parliamentary oversight until December 2021. The Liberals were in tense negotiation with opposition parties until the wee hours of Wednesday morning to find a compromise to this totally unnecessary and overreaching proposal. The opposition was correct to object and to object strenuously. I will leave it to others to explain why the Liberals' move was so enormous and inappropriate. For my part, the attempt fundamentally shook my faith in this government's ability to handle this crisis at a moment when that faith is required. How can we trust a government to declare the Emergencies Act and potentially exercise the draconian measures therein. If they're already engaging in this kind of political scenery, this crisis has only just begun. From my own limited observation, pictures of pardiers on beaches and kids playing beer pong are both deeply troubling. Most people appear to be respecting social distancing to the extent that it is possible for them to do so. But if people are failing to do what is necessary, the failure isn't on the part of the people who are simply doing what all people do, but rather on the leaders whose job it is to persuade action on a clear senses threats to civil liberties are a lever that all governments possess what's required here is not force but rather a reframing of social contract sorry social contact if there is a reason to engage in these deeply unnatural inhuman behaviors it is an act of leadership to articulate it. Social distancing, a, a themistic term for something that could more accurately be described as voluntary imprisonment, is not a minor inconvenience. It impacts our psychologically Emotionally harmful. They are also proving to be financially catastrophic. The president of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis predicts the U.S. unemployment could reach 30% this year thanks to COVID 19 shutdowns. These are depressing era statistics. Abstractions that obscure extraordinary human suffering is our economies. Sorry, if our economies don't bounce back once the pandemic has passed, we are counting, courting debt and downturns that will span generations. Although COVID-19 is a nasty illness for people of all age groups and fatalities among the young are rare but not unheard of, any public health or economic policy going forward has to consider the impacts of mortgaging the future of one generation to preserve another. The young do not have the capacity to weather this crisis. The federal government's $82 billion aid package package tabled Wednesday is a nice start. I am particularly hardened by the plan to provide $2,000 per month for four months to people who qualify for the benefits, but I fear this won't be nearly enough. Ottawa needs to provide checks to every Canadian household as rapidly as possible. I have reservations about a universal basic income, but as long as we are asking people to isolate themselves, we need to pay them to stay home. We've had a good long 70-year run in the West, but this is the end of that golden age. It's not fair to demand sacrifice from the many without offering some hope of a better world on the other side. Thank you, and we'll see you tomorrow.